Uh, there was a day when I really couldn't sing that song because I really didn't have much of a desire to be with God and to follow Him and to let Him take control over my life. What was all that about? Showing up on Sunday with a bunch of weird church people. <laughs> now I'm a pastor. <laughs> Who says God doesn't have a sense of humor? <laughs> I grew up in a church home. I mean, you know, you know, I did that. But I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm a button-down collar sinner. <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't a jean jacket Harley sinner. I mean, I, I wanted to be, but I just, you know, but you just, this is just, this is it. I'm mean, as coordinated as I get. It takes me enough to button these things down, let alone try to shift gears on a motorcycle. What's up with that? Um, uh, but God just got a hold of me, even when I was away from Him, you know, um, as He has gotten a hold of us. And so if you're here, you know, for the first time and you're feeling far away from God and it's like, well, I'm, I'm just, okay, I'm going to just come here. And you know what? This is the safest place. I mean, you're among family, really. I mean, we're all here. The button-down collar sinners, the jean jacket sinners, we're just all sinners, you know? And uh, sinners who've been redeemed. Amen, Mary Vita? There you are. You're, there you are, Okay. <laughs> And we've gathered here, and uh, it's like, okay, now what? Now what? Um, now what? God has been tugging on our hearts, and he's been changing our lives, and, and now what? Um, what do people who were once far away from God, but now have been brought to the family of God, what do they need? What do they need? And I want to talk about that this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of Titus. It's on page 844 of your church Bibles. And, um, and we're, going to look at, we're going to look at some verses that answer the now what question. We're going to look at some verses that answer the question, okay, what is it that... What is it that people who were once far away from God and now that they've been brought to God, what is it, what will help them take the next step of faith? What is it? And these verses will inform us. Paul's letter to Titus. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And uh, they're on page 844. You see them up on the screen. Paul's writing to Titus, his lieutenant, his assistant in the faith. He says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer, that's another word for elder now, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, 
not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So you take a community of believers who were once far away from God and now they have been brought into the family of God and they've gathered and now the question is, now what? And these verses help us answer that question. The now what is that those believers need to be led. They need to be shepherded. They need to be guided. They need to be pastored. They need to, they need to have their faith uh, developed. They need to be strengthened. Just like children need to be developed and strengthened uh, into adulthood by their parents in a local church family, in a local church community, Believers need to be shepherded and guided into spiritual adulthood, into spiritual maturity, into fully grown, fully mature men and women and children and students of God. And and that requires leadership. And that's what Paul is telling Titus in these verses. And that's what he's telling us here as a church family. And... If I could summarize all that I have to say in just one sentence, you know, just a, the big idea, the take home for today, it's, it's simply this, and it's just, it's the one lesson I want you to walk away with. Spiritually healthy communities need leaders who are spiritually healthy. Spiritually healthy communities need leaders who are spiritually healthy. Uh, just as a spiritually healthy nuclear family need. If if that family, if those children are going to be spiritually healthy, mom and dad have got to be spiritually healthy. They've got to. And, And the church family is no different. In order for the church family to be spiritually healthy, then then the leaders need to be spiritually healthy. And so that's and that's why Paul gave these verses to Titus, and that's, that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about why it's so important for local church communities to have healthy spiritual leadership, and then I want to talk about what that looks like. First, the why. The why is in verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished, unfinished, undeveloped. Oh, the need for, for spiritually healthy leadership. Um, Many of you know uh, Lou and Shirley Best. Uh, Lou and Shirley were members here at Windsor Road, and Lou uh, is in his second career now. His first career, he was an army officer. In fact, uh, they came here to Champaign. Lou was the commander at the Army ROTC uh, at the university uh, in the 90s. And uh, afterwards they left, and he retired after a wonderful career in the military, uh, like August of 2001, all right? And he entered seminary, and uh, uh, three years afterwards, he and Shirley moved to Killeen, Texas. 
and planted a church. And our church, Windsor Road, supported them for their first three years. And so when I heard about the shooting uh, that occurred in uh, Killeen at Fort Hood uh, Thursday, uh, Thursday night, I, I was here. I got on the phone. I called Lou. I said, what's going on? You know, tell me, uh, tell me how we can pray for you. And, uh, you know, his basically said, well, pray for what I'm going to say Sunday because i got to put together a whole new message. I mean, whatever it was, he was preaching. Uh, his preaching plan, that got derailed. And Lou said, I'm, there was this guy in the Old Testament named Job. And I think I'm going to go to Job. And, and see, the church needs that today. You know, the church needs someone like Lou to stand up and before uh, the congregation, which is still pretty young. The church needs someone they trust who will stand up and, and talk about how we respond to unexplained evil and unexplained suffering. And, and Lou's going to have to stand up. And the first thing Lou's going to have to do is he's going to have to learn to weep with those who weep. And it, it's not like he doesn't know how to weep with those who weep. That's what he's going to have to do. And he'll do it. And he'll do it with integrity and excellence. Because when tragedy comes, often you know, we don't have you know, the desire to have our reasoning satisfied. We just need a shoulder. We need someone to, that we can just wail and weep and sob with and that'll be okay. And Lou and Shirley will provide that. And then perhaps later on what will happen is people from the congregation or the community will come to him and, and will ask, why did, you know, if God is all powerful and God is all wise, why would he allow something like this evil to happen? And Lou is going to need to stand up and explain that if you have an all wise and all powerful and all knowing God, then at the same time you have a God who is all powerful and all wise enough to have reasons, some of which we can't possibly understand. Isn't that what the book of Job is about? And so will we trust God even when we don't understand what he's up to? Will we trust him? Lou's going to need to stand up and and, and love that church family into trusting the God that we sometimes can't understand. Lou will also need to stand up and model how Christians should treat those of a different faith. He's going to have to model what that looks like. That even though you may disagree totally with the fundamentals of what someone else believes in terms of you know, their understanding of God, still Lou's going to have to lead out in what it looks like to treat someone like Jesus does. But what if Lou were to stand up before his congregation, you know, probably right about now? What if he were to stand up in the wake of all of this that's happened and say nothing? Nothing. What if he were to just pretend it like didn't even happen and he just kind of goes on through his sermon series through the book of Numbers or whatever it was he was going to preach. How would that go? How confusing that would be. There are some young believers there who are crying out to make sense out of this chaos. Shouldn't someone, shouldn't someone of God take the lead and take God's word and to the best of their ability say, this is how the gospel looks in this situation. 
Of course. I mean, that's a no-brainer to all of us. And that church family is why Paul has left Titus on Crete to appoint elders who will shoulder the responsibility to be the primary shepherds and caregivers and spiritual leaders for they are going to be the team who, who happen to be appointed to stand up and say something. That's their job. They, the elders, this, this elder leadership team that Titus is appointing will, will, will be designated to, to answer these questions like, who will shoulder the responsibility to provide perpetual pastoral care? Who will parent these new believers who are scattered all throughout the many cities on Crete? Who will teach these believers to grow in Christ? Who will instruct them in doctrine in an age where the New Testament hasn't been compiled yet? I mean, all they, the only book of the New Testament that the Cretans have is Titus. See? So the elders are going to need to step up. And the elders are going to need to, to, to pray over the spiritual needs of the flock. That those who are hurting, they're going to need encouragement. It's not going to happen by itself. It's not. This job needs to be done by a godly group of servant leaders called elders. And, and as the church is a, a family, the elders are going to be the fathers. And if the, and if the church is a daughter, then the, then the fathers are going to love and encourage and affirm and stay up late into the night a pleading with his daughter to be of God and protecting her. If the church is a flock, the elders are going to be shepherds who are going to provide, who are going to protect, and who will fiercely defend against any or all predators. That's their role. That's what has to happen. Furthermore, these elders on Crete are, and I love how one author puts it, they will be the vanguard of Christianity's invasion upon the Cretan culture. You see, the church on Crete, Christianity on Crete was very urban-focused. That's why Paul said to Titus, I want you to appoint these elders in every town. Paul would go to a, a, a place, Paul would go to a town, he would establish a beachhead, but Paul's not going to stay there forever. He's got to go on to the next place. He's gotta, Paul's business is about laying foundations, the structure and organization for the perpetual care of the congregation of believers. That's going to come lay, That's going to come from their own. And that's what Paul is doing. And, th- and those elders are going to, I mean, they're going to be the examples, the models. See, see, the Cretan culture, they can't, uh, you know, the leader can't say, look into the pouch and take out the blue copy of the Bible that's before you and take it home. They can't say that because it's not written there. You know what they say, though? Look at this person right there. That's, that's the Bible in flesh right there. That person, that elder. And when Cretans get curious about this this God-man Jesus who rose from the grave, who are they going to talk to? See? It's going to have to be the elders, you see. Because they're the living examples. They're the models. Since, since Crete was a, a, an island of cities, I mean, they, what was their version of a commute? Walking. Home. Work. School. 
not getting in the car and cocooning your way around town. No, 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 no. They're interfacing, interacting. What does Christianity look like? Look at that person right there. There. That's an elder. That's a leader. And so when they get curious about this Christian God named Jesus, who's going to be consulted first? It's going to be the team of elders. But when they consult these elders, do their lives match the faith they profess? The Christian elders claim to know God. Do their actions support this? Do your actions and ethics at work bring curiosity to others about the God you worship? Huh? See? If you profess to be a Christian at work or in the neighborhood and you, you proclaim, you say you're a believer and you're a Christian and everybody knows about it but they don't want to be like you, that's not good. See? That's not good. Church families don't run themselves. They need leaders, and they need leadership. Uh, let's take a break for a minute, okay? Let's play a word association game. All right? Pencil, paper, here we go. I'm going to say a word, and then you tell me what the very next word that comes to your mind is, all right? Here it is. Here's the word. Leadership. Whatever the next word is that comes to your mind, write that down. Leadership is, write that down. Leadership is, write that down. There it is. You got it? All right, talk back to me here for a minute. Over here. Leadership is what? Guidance? What about over here? Jesus. Good. Jesus is the answer to every question at this church. <laughs> Mary, that's very good. What else? Influence. Influence. You have read my notes, Bob. Were you here first service? That's it. That's what I want to stop at right there. That is leadership. Leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. And someone wrote that the local church is the most leadership-intensive enterprise on the planet. And here's why. Here's why. Other organizations have some sort of leverage mechanism to get others to do whatever the leader wants. You know what I mean? They, uh, for instance, tomorrow morning, you know, there's a, there, there, is a, there is a leverage mechanism at work so that your leader at work can get you to do what the leader wants. You know what that is? It's called a paycheck, right? You know, in the military, it's called the brig, all right? Uh, and in school, it's called a grade, right? That's a leverage mechanism right there. But in the church family, that does not exist. It doesn't. It doesn't exist. You're, you all are here because you want to be here. It's voluntary. And the only thing that leaders around here have is influence. That's it. Just influence. Just and spiritual influence spiritual influence and that's why it's so important for these spiritually healthy communities to have leaders who will influence them for Christ and they don't run themselves they're led by godly servant leadership now I have another word association game before we stop our commercial and get back into the text okay? and I'm hesitating to do this because it 
well, it's self-indicting, all right? But here it is. I'm going to say the word, and you write down the very next word that comes to your mind. It's the word elder. 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 I don't know what you wrote, but I hope it's not the word meeting. (laughs) If it is, we've got work to do, don't we, Carl? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So often we just say elder, oh, meeting, you know? No. No, we're talking about godly servant leadership and And that that kind of leads us to verses 6 through 9, where the Apostle Paul, having established the need, he says, okay, healthy spiritual communities need leaders, need an elder leadership team, and it needs to be a team, it needs to be a plurality, because because the work is just too much for one person. But those, those, that team of leaders, that team of elders, they need to be spiritually healthy themselves. They've got to be. Because if the, if the church family is going to be spiritually healthy, how, how can the church family be healthy if the leaders aren't healthy? And so Paul says, here's what spiritual health looks like. Leaders, the elder leadership team, they need to, they need to be blameless. The key word is blameless. It's mentioned twice in verses 6 through 9. They need to be blameless in the way they lead their families. They need to be blameless in the way they lead themselves, and they need to be blameless in the way that they lead out in the Word. Families, self, and Word. Verses 6 through 9. Let me take those in reverse order. Verse 9 says that an elder needs to be able to lead out in the Word. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. That word literally means he needs to be able, he needs to stick to the script. Don't stay focused on the teleprompter, elders. Don't stray. You stick to the message. And that's what I was talking about regarding my friend Lou. He's going to show how the gospel relates, even in a tragic experience. And elders need to be able to to stick to the message as it's been taught by Titus, by Paul, who received it from Jesus himself, not just so that that elder can understand, and not just so that elders can encourage others, but so the elder can refute those who oppose it. And we'll talk about that next week when our theme is followership, you see. It's a two-sided coin. Good leaders need faithful followers, but that's next week. That elder needs to be blameless in terms of leading out with the word. And then, a spiritually healthy elder needs to be blameless in regards to to self-leadership. And that's what verses 7 and 8 are about. And again, these verses define the word blameless. And and what what Paul's doing when he talks to Titus is he's he's defining blameless with vices, and virtues. Blamelessness is not this, rather blamelessness is this. And notice, you see, he gives a list. You see that in verses 7 and 8? He gives a list. Why does he give a list? Because he's talking to Greeks, and Greeks love lists. That's how they communicated. They are. They put them on their Excel, and it was just a big list. And so, 
So he's, Paul is formatting Christian truth so that these Cretans will get it. Had Paul been speaking to a Hebrew audience, a predominantly Hebrew audience, he would have simply told a parable. But he's not. He's talking to Cretans. And he says, first of all, blamelessness is not this. That elder must not be overbearing, self-willed, or arrogant. The elder must not ride roughshod over the church family. The elder must not have a quick temper or a short fuse or, or have, have anger or rage issues regarding explosiveness or lack of control. An elder must not, must not be given to drunkenness or bullying. And the elder must not pursue dishonest gain. The elder must not use their leadership position to exploit the flock. And you may be saying, well, I mean, does this even need to be said? Yes, they're on Crete. It needs to be said. Positively, Paul describes what blamelessness is then. He says, first of all, that the elder needs to be hospitable. Now, we, we, we think of hospitable, that means, well, let's have coffee and cake. In the first century, in the pioneering years of Christianity, when Christians would be persecuted for believing in Jesus, it would have been impossible for the church to survive pressures from the outside. And so, and so the elder needed to be willing to take in refugees who happened to be their brothers and sisters in Christ. So they need to be hospitable and they need to love what is good. They need, they need to to practice self-control, uh, uh, restraint over oneself that marked out a person of true character. They need to be upright, which means honest and fair in their dealings, and they needed to be holy and disciplined. The, the, elder, needed, the elder in verses 7 and 8 and 9 needed to be the exact opposite of the Cretan in verse 12. That's the point that Paul makes. You see... In the church, elders are shepherds, not cowboys. (laughs) See, the cowboy wrestles and brands and herds and ropes. The shepherd leads and guides and feeds and anoints. The cowboy knows the name of the trail hands. The shepherd knows the name of the sheep. The cowboy whoops and hollers at the cows. The shepherd calls each sheep by name. And one author wrote, aren't we glad Christ didn't call himself the good cowboy? So that elder needs to be blameless over the word of God and how he leads with the word of God, blameless in terms of self-leadership, and then this level of leadership needs to extend not just personally, but the elder needs to be able to lead over their families. Verse 6, the elder must be blameless the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Now, church family, if there's going to be any pushback, um, it'll probably be over this verse, verse 6. Um, and and the, the problem is, uh, I mean, we, and I, we've fielded the question before, you know, I've noticed that all of your elders are Men, what's up with that? Let me try to talk about that for a minute. That's a good question. Um, 
But what we need to understand at the outset is that often we primarily think of elders as a, as a board of directors or governors who oversee a 501c3 tax-exempt nonprofit organization. Or we often think of the elders as a kind of a religious hybrid of a for-profit business. Or we often think of the elders, you know, like we want to think of the United States Senate or some other lawmaking, power-based body. And then having been exposed to these leadership models in the secular world, we feel frustrated because the church seems so backwoods about it. I mean, we read Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3 about the elder being the husband of one wife and one whose children are not incorrigible, and we think, well, what's up with that? What's Paul got against women? Or, or what does parenting have to do with knowing how to run an organization? Now, this is offensive. It's also socially, it's socially regressive is what it is. And, um, and let me just say, first of all, that, you know, the offensiveness of Scripture, the offensive of Scripture is, is really culturally relative. It really is. I mean, in other words, you know, when we read a verse and we find that offensive, well, what's offensive to our culture was common sense to their culture. Just like the things that we find to be common sense in our generation, our grandchildren and great-grandchildren are going to be offended. So, so, just a heads up on that. Fundamentally, the church is not a corporation with boardroom officers. Fundamentally, it's not a secular government system like the Senate or any other power-based body. Essentially, the church is a family, a spiritual household, a spiritual community. That's why verse 7 literally reads an elder as God's steward, as God's steward. You see, a steward was a manager who worked for the owner of the household or the estate. So elders don't own the church family. They are custodians of that which belongs to God. And, and if you read through the book of Titus, you'll, you'll see how local churches, you know, local churches met not in mortgaged facilities, but in homes. These were house churches. In fact, in Titus chapter 2, if you read, you'll read about the different typical groups in a family structure. So the church is a family. And God's plan for the organization and leadership of the local church family is derived from his plan for the organization and leadership of the nuclear family. Let me say that again. God's plan for the organization and leadership of the local church family is derived from his plan for the organization and leadership of the nuclear family. And in the nuclear family, the husbands and fathers have been divinely called as servant leaders to initiate in providing and protecting the family entrusted to them. The family that does not belong to them, the family that belongs to God. And in the nuclear family, a husband's leadership, a husband's influence, a husband's headship is not about calling the shots or being bossy or getting the final say or having the final word. Rather, headship is the divine calling to be the first to be nailed to the cross. 
to be the first to provide and protect, and if need be, to lay one's life down for their family. And furthermore, in a spiritually healthy nuclear family, I'm talking about your families now, the husbands and fathers, if they're faithful stewards, they will ensure that all of the gifts in all of the family members are being fully utilized for the building up of the family and for God's glory. And this is the way it is to be in the church family. The family and the church family are the only two places where God has called and expects cross-bearing, Christ-focused husbands and fathers to be initiating servant leaders. And such godly husbands and fathers are divinely called to the stewardship of providing and protecting the spiritual community of believers And that's why our elders are godly husbands and fathers. That's why. That's why. And I think the pushback is often the result of the fact that too many husbands and fathers have failed in what God has appointed them. Too many. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, when the very first family, Adam and Eve, when they were sick with sin, you read that. It says God showed up, and it doesn't say that, it doesn't say that God showed up and called out to Adam and Eve. It says that God showed up and called out to the man, saying to him, where are you? He was speaking to Adam. And in our homes... When the family is spiritually sick, God shows up and he knocks on the door and he says, is the man of the house home? I want to have a word with him. And in the church family, when that family is not healthy spiritually, God shows up and God says, Where are the godly husbands and fathers? What are you doing? Where are you? Get out of bed and get on your knees and leave. That's what he says. Brothers. That's what he's saying. Is he saying that to you right now? And so when a church is spiritually healthy, it is because the elder leadership team ensures that the entire church family, children, students, women, men, are all fully utilizing the gifts that God has given them for the building of the church and the glory of God. And, and, And when that occurs in a place like Crete, well, no wonder the church grew. No, Who would not want to follow such Christ-like leadership? Church family, Titus teaches that spiritually healthy churches are dependent on leaders who are spiritually healthy. And those elders are to model what Christianity should look like. They are to be blameless. Blameless in the way they teach the word. Blameless in the way they lead themselves. Blameless in the way they lead their families. They are to protect against false teaching. They are to provide spiritual nourishment. And they are to pray over the believers. And if 
And if our elders at Windsor Road do nothing else, attend no more meetings, but do just what I just talked about, they will have done their job. So why don't you let them pray over you after services? I mean, why don't you come up here? I know we have prayer. We, we send out a prayer list every... We're good, at, we're good Greeks. We send out the list, okay? We're good at that. We, we do it electronically, and there's the list is there. But, you know, if it's important enough to write it down on your card that gets translated, it's important enough to come see an elder and let us pray over you. I mean, I'd rather us do it in flesh and blood than in cyberspace, you know? And, and, and I'm back at the back at the Welcome Center, and I'd be happy to pray with you, but I guarantee you, I'm telling you, their prayers are better than mine. Spiritually healthy churches need spiritually healthy leaders. You see, it's the gospel that has transformed these elders. <laughs> and the gospel talks of a chief shepherd who came down and he laid down his life for the flock. Those who were once foolish, those who were once enslaved, those who were once deceived, they've been changed by the best news ever. The news that the grace of God has appeared. Grace has come to prodigals and predators, and what do you know? Some of them are elders now. Only Jesus can do that. Amen.